The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Linda House, the Executive Vice President of External Affairs of the Cancer Support Community. I'm filling in today for Kim Tibaldo, our President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, who looks forward to you joining her next week. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered in over 170 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. The show today is sponsored in part by Lilly Oncology, ASI, Genentech, and Amgen. Over the past couple of decades, we've been seeing a real shift to more patient-centered health care, particularly in the cancer space. One concept that is drawing more and more attention because of this enormous impact to patients is patient navigation. Today, we are so lucky to be joined from Lily Shockney, who is, in fact, a renowned patient navigation expert. Lily is the Administrative Director for Johns Hopkins Avon Foundation Breast Center and is also the Program Director for the Academy of Oncology Nurse Navigators. Lily's here today to talk with us about what patient navigation is, who it benefits, and how it can make a real difference in the cancer experience. Thanks for joining us today, Lily. I also want to, Lily, just quickly just tell our listeners, because you have such a breadth of experience, that you yourself are a two-time cancer survivor, and you have worked tirelessly for many years, for as long as, uh, well, at least 10 years that I can remember, to really improve the care of breast cancer patients, not only here in the United States, but also around the world. Um, I know that you are a registered nurse as well as a published author, and you um, speak pretty widely to share uh, resources across the professional community, the patient community, and the payer community uh, to make sure that we can help with this trajectory of improving the cancer patient experience. I also know that you serve on the Medical Advisory Board for several national breast cancer organizations, and you're the co-founder and vice president of a national nonprofit called Mothers Supporting Daughters with Breast Cancer. So thank you for the, the work, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Lily, I think it might be best if we could start today by sharing with our listeners, um, what is the definition of patient navigation? When, when we think about um, patient navigation, just the word navigation, I think consumers usually associate with being their GPS in their car. How are they going to get from one point to another? But when we're thinking about navigation from a patient perspective, navigation is, is actually a, a process whereby a 
a patient is given individualized support across the continuum of care, meaning that if they're going to be having surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, other treatments, each of those phases of care need to remain connected to one another so that no one drops through the cracks. And it actually begins with community outreach to raise awareness about uh, cancer, to also inform consumers what are the warning signs about specific types of, of cancer, and how to go about getting cancer screening done if there are uh, surveillance technology available for a particular type of cancer that they should be evaluated for. So it goes from uh, awareness through to cancer screening, through to the diagnosis and the treatment process, and then on to short and long-term survivorship, or in some cases for patients who will not survive their disease, then on to end of life. And although you know, the primary focus of navigation is actually the identification and elimination of barriers that delay that early diagnosis and completion of treatment, uh, with the goal being that that treatment will be carried out in keeping with uh, evidence-based standards of care. We don't want care given willy-nilly. Um, particularly cancer care needs to follow certain protocols based on evidence-based research that has been uh, completed and published so that we know what treatments work and in what order, how much of a dosage or how least of a dosage. And we obtain that information through the uh, National Comprehensive Cancer Network and encourage navigators to educate their patients about those uh, specific guidelines, as well as other national um, accrediting uh, requirements. It also incorporates patient education, and I'll also say caregiver education, because we certainly don't want any patient going through their diagnosis and treatment alone. They may have a family member, spouse, uh, daughter, son, best friend, uh, someone who is going to be, we hope, supporting them um, uh, as a member of their family. And in turn, that caregiver also needs to be educated and supported. And last but not least, looking at their psychosocial needs. When uh, someone gets diagnosed with cancer, the rest of their life doesn't stop. It still has to go on. And oftentimes... You know, there can be other things happening that are unpleasant in somebody's life, and they'll say, I don't have time for this right now. I just I can't also deal with the diagnosis of cancer. Maybe they're in the process of separating from their spouse, or they have a, uh, 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 a child who's run away from home for the third time, or they're about to lose their job. Um, in today's uh, world, uh, no one is having a Pollyanna life just skipping, skipping along. So that support, and particularly psychosocial support, needs to factor in what else is going on in this patient's life, uh, recognizing that they just can't put their life on hold. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the question I was going to ask you, I'll, I'll still ask the question I was going to ask you, but I suspect that it's multifaceted. Uh, I was going to ask you, what, what would you say is the goal of patient navigation? Maybe I should say, what are the goals, plural, of patient navigation? To ensure that um, uh, the number one uh, ultimate goal is to save more lives from cancer. And that can and only can be achieved by getting people in early so that they're diagnosed early, making sure that their treatment plan 
is the right treatment plan to save their life or extend their life, to have the cancer experience be a bump in the road rather than a derailment or a dead end, and also to be able to have that patient reflect back on their cancer experience and say, you know, I was really scared at first, but the support of my navigator and others that were working with that navigator on my oncology team made this all doable. And now I'm ready to support other people who end up diagnosed after me. And the way in which we also need to look from a prevention perspective so that one day no one will be diagnosed with cancer is to engage in more research. And you would say, well, what does navigation have to do with that? I think that a nurse navigator in particular has a perfect opportunity to be uh, doing uh, the assessments of uh, newly diagnosed cancer patients for which he or she is involved with to see if they match up for any innovative clinical trials because these are the treatments of the future to provide longevity, the treatments of the future to reduce long-term side effects, but most particularly the preventions of the future so that people don't hear that word, you have cancer anymore. So fewer people dying of the disease, hopefully at the moment, more people being diagnosed early, if they're going to be diagnosed at all, and then eventually having this disease be listed in the medical books where polio is, mm-hmm. uh, which is under cured diseases. Mm-hmm. So is this a new concept? Can you tell us more about the, the, the history of, of it, if it's not? Um, I think that it's, uh, it, it may be a new concept to a consumer, if they have not been in a cancer situation yet. But from a history perspective, uh, back in uh, the early 1990s, Dr. Harold Freeman at Harlem Hospital in New York City was very, very aware that uh, African-American inner-city women were coming in diagnosed with very advanced uh, stages of breast cancer and subsequently dying. He looked at this and realized that there were some specific reasons why this was happening, he believed. One was they didn't understand the importance of mammography, so they weren't getting screened. They didn't know any warning signs that they have a breast health problem. They didn't know how to do a breast self-exam. They feared the word cancer. And uh, for some cultures and ethnicities and races, fear results in people not doing the right thing for themselves and kind of sticking their head in the sand. He also saw the same thing with colorectal uh, cancer, with prostate cancer, um, and, uh, uh, and also with lung cancer. But his initial priority, because he was in the breast cancer field himself, was to work on uh, getting women in sooner to get their mammograms so they would be diagnosed earlier. So the program of patient navigation actually began with community outreach. And it did not begin with nurses. It began with caseworkers, um, individuals who were trained to go out and knock on doors and go to churches and, and uh, other venues where social activities happen and say, I want to tell you about the importance of getting your mammogram. I will help you get an appointment promptly. I will even go with you. Um, if you're fearful about uh, going that day because we don't want you to be a no-show, we want you to go ahead and get that mammogram. That program uh, 
proved to be very successful. And he later expanded it further into having um, patient navigators also in the, I'm going to say, in the diagnosis and treatment setting with, with their goal being, are there any barriers that this patient may have that are going to prevent them from getting their treatment? The most common barrier in the United States that results in treatment not happening as it should is lack of transportation. You can say, well, heavens, you know, everyone has transportation. No, they don't. They may have one vehicle and both of them are working and where she needs to go to get her cancer treatment is nowhere on a bus line or a metro or anywhere else. And her husband works in a totally different area and has to drive to, to take the car, for example. As time evolved, however, with navigation, simultaneously um, something was going on in the nursing arena. So back in the early 1970s, actually the government, uh, Medicare and Medicaid, um, said, we want to implement a process whereby we will perform utilization review, which meant that they hired nurses to do medical record chart reviews after patients had been discharged from a hospital setting, no matter what their uh, diagnosis was uh, for their hospitalization, and read the medical records to see are there any days of inpatient care that were not medically warranted to have happened? Were there <laughs> delays in their treatment? So the patient came in on a Friday, but they didn't get any x-rays done until Monday because radiology was closed over the weekend. Those two days would be what are called carve-out days, and the institution would not be paid for them because they were delays. In essence, they created their own barrier in getting that patient treated. Patients who were waiting to uh, be transferred to a nursing home bed uh, who had had a stroke and had been hospitalized, stabilized, and then waiting for a bed, those days would be carved out. It was a very adversarial relationship, as you can imagine, between a utilization review nurse and a physician taking care of that patient who gets a letter in the mail a month after the patient's discharge saying, we don't see why the patient was there for these two days um, and we're not going to pay for those two days. So then it evolved into utilization management where nurses were now inside the hospital but working for Medicare, Medicaid, and insurance companies to concurrently review the medical record while the patient was in the hospital. Again, their purpose was to identify barriers to their discharge or barriers to their treatment for their, during their inpatient hospitalization. And in such cases there, they uh, would leave a, a note in the chart for the doctor saying, we've looked at the record today and we can't figure out why the patient um, didn't have their x-ray done or their test done or their procedure done yesterday. There's nothing documented in the record. That still was a bit of an adversarial relationship, but at least there was an opportunity to justify the day with medical record documentation uh, by the physician, treating physician, um, uh, rather than having everything happen retrospectively. And then that evolved into case management. And at long last, there were nurses that had actually evolved from the utilization management program or from performance improvement uh, programs to be working as part of the team taking care of the patient. And that individual's role, again, was what can I do to make sure that this patient is traveling along, along the continuum of care in a pragmatic way 
in an efficient way, receiving the education that the patient needs, the support that they need, and the treatment that they need, and serving as the point person for the entire team so that when someone needed to communicate something, oftentimes she would be that individual that they would use as the central communicator. Case management then evolved into nurse navigation. And nurse navigation officially um, was launched in 1992. So if we look at Dr. Harold Freeman's program, which was, was and still is outstanding, there actually was a parallel process happening, happening in the land of uh, nursing um, at the same time. And today, there are uh, patient navigators who are lay navigators, patient navigators who are social workers, patient navigators who are cancer survivors, who are lay people themselves, and nurse navigators. If we look at who are the majority of navigators, approximately 78% of navigators today in the, in the United States are, in fact, nurse navigators. Great. And I am going to pause just right there so that we can take a quick commercial break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We'll be right back with more on patient navigation right after this break. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help, but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by Celgene, Lilly Oncology, and Onyx. I am Linda House. 
standing in today for Kim Tebaldo, the president and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. And I am talking today with Lily Shockney, who is the administrative director for the John Hopkins Avon Foundation Breast Center and also the program director for the Academy of Oncology Nurse Navigators. We are have had a robust discussion about the, the history and the background and the types of navigators that we, we had. But I wanted to just pick up, Lily, with where you left off. And you were going into the different types of professionals who do patient navigation. Can you just repeat that for, uh, for our listeners? Who are the navigators? Absolutely. So there are lay navigators. There are survivor navigators who are usually also lay navigators. There are social workers. Um, who serve as a navigator, and there are nurse navigators. The bulk of the individuals who serve as navigators in the United States for cancer patients are nurse navigators, actually uh, taking up 78% um, of the number of individuals serving in that type of role. Great. And, and so when you look at the work that these, that these navigators are trying to achieve, are there any sort of core tenets or components of patient navigation? Um, there, there are. Um, really at the heart of navigation is personalized patient care. <clears throat> Everyone involved, quite frankly, in the patient's care does have some role within the navigation process, whether they're referred to as a navigator or not. Um, however, when we, we take a look at what are they providing, they're providing one-on-one -on -one education. They're facilitating communication with the inter interdisciplinary oncology team taking care of that patient. They're also uh, identifying what barriers there are to uh, the patient receiving a diagnosis and oftentimes receiving their treatment. Um, this includes financial barriers, cultural barriers, educational barriers, um, spiritual um, issues and barriers, as well as psychosocial uh, barriers. There are lots of myths out there related to cancer and its treatment, so the navigator wants to undo those myths and instill the facts in a way that the patient is empowered with information so that they also can engage and participate in the decision-making about their care. And, and um, what, what are some of the impacts that patient navigators have had on people with cancer? So um, there are actually quite a few. Um, some are softer to measure because they're more qualitative than hard number quantitative. But uh, the very first is getting more people in for screening. We certainly have seen across the country that there has been an uptake in the number of people who meet the criteria for getting certain type of cancer surveillance screening done, actually getting it done. Um, they have lowered the no-show rate, meaning that there may be 20 people scheduled for a mammogram today or for a colonoscopy today but 50% of them didn't show up, and they're referred to as a no-show. That no-show rate uh, has also uh, dramatically gone down, um, and it is because of the engagement of that navigator with that individual and in forming a relationship, developing trust, effective communication, and getting them promptly scheduled for that screening. Um, I'm a believer in foxhole religion. If you can persuade someone to do the right thing for themselves and get them scheduled, you want them to be in within one to two weeks. If you wait longer than that, then there is a risk that there will be a no-show, that, that what we inspired them to do may drift away. We also know from Dr. Harold Freeman's early data in the 1990s that there 
was a reduction in the number of individuals diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic breast cancer and an increase in the number of individuals diagnosed with early breast cancer, uh, resulting in them being survivors. And in looking at NCCN treatment guidelines, we've also seen that navigators have had a role um, in preventing fragmentation of care so that rather than uh, if a patient's referred now to go for radiation but the patient didn't show up, who is going to make sure that that follow-up is done so that the patient does get in for radiation and that they don't drop through the cracks. And um, also, uh, navigators have been very good at identifying where there is a need for resources to take care of these barriers. There's lots of grassroots organizations um, out there, oftentimes uh, developed uh, uh, through patient advocacy, um, national, regional, and local organizations that by learning from navigators, we need taxi vouchers because we have patients that don't have transportation. Then that happens. We have patients that because they're paying for their prescriptions, they don't have money to pay their grocery bill. Then food can be provided and, and other resources, assistance with their co-pays, even babysitting while they're getting their chemotherapy. So those types of things have been achieved. And patient satisfaction, their experience with their cancer uh, care has improved as a result of having uh, these individuals as their touchstone. Nice. And so what is the process for navigation? How does somebody get connected to a navigator? When someone is uh, diagnosed with any form of cancer, they should be connected up very promptly um, with a navigator that is going to be specifically supporting them with the type of cancer that they have. This may happen um, at the point of screening when they are informed that, yes, you have this type of cancer, a biopsy has been done and the pathology results are back, could be that doctor or that uh, nurse practitioner that's connecting them up. The most common way um, currently in the U.S. is uh, that they will be connected up um, via uh, the, the breast center, for example, which is a, one of our largest volume of, of patients um, and where navigation uh, has a, a very strong foundation. So that when a patient is being scheduled for an appointment, say with a breast surgeon, now that they've been diagnosed, they're also connected up with their nurse navigator at that same time. And navigator is going to talk to them on the phone. Navigator is also going to see them at the same time that that surgeon sees them and go ahead and get underway with educating them so that they can, as I said, participate in that decision-making about lumpectomy versus mastectomy if they are a candidate for either one. Talking about what kind of work do they do? What were their life goals prior to hearing those words, you have cancer? so that the navigator can inform the treating team of what those life goals are with the intention that those life goals remain on track. Also, what are the barriers and, and identify those with the patient so that the navigator can proceed immediately in uh, setting out to provide the resources that are needed to undo those barriers. <clears throat> and uh, life goals is something that I personally feel very strong about I want the cancer and its treatment to be a bump in the road. I don't want a patient's life derailed. So, for example, if I have a 37-year-old woman coming in 
today that I'm seeing this afternoon with a breast surgical oncologist, newly diagnosed with a stage 2 breast cancer, so I know for sure she's going to be getting chemotherapy. I will ask her what her life goals are, and she might say to me, it doesn't matter, just save my life. And I'll say it does matter, and we do think we can save your life, and I want to know what they are. And she may say, well, we were planning to start our family in another year or two. Okay, then you're hoping to be a mom. Then sounds like we need to get you referred to fertility preservation because you will be receiving chemotherapy that could take away that life goal. What kind of work do you do? Actually, I'm a concert pianist. Then I want to let your medical oncologist know this because he's going to want to be very careful in selecting chemotherapy drugs that don't cause tingling and numbness in your fingers, known as peripheral neuropathy. So that's an incredibly valuable role for the navigator to fulfill because the doctors and other oncology nurses are focusing on the pathology, the diagnoses, and what treatment does this patient need. The navigator is the, the nudger, the reminder We're not just taking care of the cancer. We're taking care of a person who has a life and wants to stay on track for that life. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And we're going to come back and touch on some examples of, of real case studies uh, when we come back. We need to just quickly run to break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We will be back to hear more from Lily in just a couple of minutes. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. 
The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by AstraZeneca, Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, and Purdue Pharma. I'm Linda House. Today, standing in for Kim Tebaldo, we are here speaking with Lily Shockney about patient navigation and the cancer experience. And so far, Lily, we've talked a lot about what uh, navigators can do for patients. We know that patients are not the only uh, individuals impacted by cancer. So how might patient navigation also help caregivers and family members? You're absolutely right that uh, when cancer happens to one person, it really affects everyone that loves them and particularly everyone that lives with them. So we have to think about other family members uh, who oftentimes become caregivers overnight. This was, this was not on their list of things that they anticipated doing this month or, or this year. <clears throat> one of the things that's particularly important is making sure that, that caregivers know their own boundaries. The patient needs to be the one primarily making decisions with the oncology team. There are situations in which caregivers are just so anxious they want to take over that role. It's only appropriate uh, to do that when it is uh, a child with cancer and it's the parent who's obviously making the decisions with the, with the oncology team. Caregivers uh, very much need educational information about what to expect will be happening with their loved one. Where do they need to um, help, which might be uh, after surgery, to let them know that their loved one may need help around the house for the first three or four days or perhaps even longer. What appointments should they accompany the patient to so that they can arrange to take off from work for those particular appointments? Because those are appointments where significant news is being presented or significant treatment decision-making is being presented or outcomes of scans, particularly for those that have metastatic disease where they may be receiving good news or, in, in, in many cases, bad news. So letting them have a roadmap, if you will, as they're walking alongside uh, the patient who's the person that they love. And, and what about the medical team? And I know we talked a little bit about the, the, the interface and going to medical appointments and things, but um, what, is, what does that patient-physician-caregiver relationship look like when there's a, a navigator in place? They really are a triad, and I, I'm a strong believer that the patient needs to see him or herself as part of their own oncology team. So the physician is relying on the navigator for doing the detailed education and support and identifying what resources this individual needs. The navigator's role, um, which physicians very much benefit and appreciate, is being the one to restate after that doctor goes out of the room, let's just recap what Dr. X just told you is his recommendations for your treatment, and let me make sure that you understand why those recommendations were made. Great. That's great. It's incredibly helpful. Um, and being able to go back and, and have somebody who, is, who has memorialized some of the, the conversation in a way that's pretty meaningful. Exactly. 
When you when you think about navigation and the impact that it's had on patients, we've talked about some of the, some of those impacts on the larger scale. Now, sort of elevating to the broader healthcare system level, um, has, has navigation impacted overall healthcare costs, or has there been um, any uh, any role for patient navigation in the implementation of the Affordable Care Act? Uh, one of the one of the challenges right day right today in being able to measure this is that there are no two institutions functioning in the same way. Their organizational structures are different. So even the beginning points and ending points of navigation by a particular navigator for a patient may vary from one institution uh, to another. Um, navigators, uh, with the exception of those that are funded through grants and philanthropy, are not free for a cancer center to be uh, hiring and providing salary and, and benefits for. We do know, however, that uh, for those institutions that have taken the time to track retention of patients um, and that the, uh, on the patient satisfaction survey, the uh, patient actually records that the reason, that the, the, the turning point for them, the reason why they said, I selected cancer center ABC was because they bonded with that navigator very early on who they felt was, was, their, uh, was their lifeline. Also, we're in an era right now where um, healthcare economics is slamming us in the face and we need to trim um, uh, expenses that are going on within institutions. This makes it even harder, uh, really, to maintain navigation programs across the continuum uh, while we need to be cutting staff. That forces institutions to look at operations management, and that's where I think the navigator has a wonderful role because while she's alongside a patient, she is witnessing the patient flow process. She can see where there are delays, where there are inefficiencies, where there is rework, and where there are gaps in care, and then in turn can work with her managers and perhaps organizational development experts at that institution to streamline the process and make it more efficient. Whenever we can create efficiency and effectiveness at the same time, we have saved money and improved outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so just to clarify for our listeners, when you mention the the, the patient navigator isn't free for the hospital system. Um, the hospital does, in fact, pay for the navigator, so there is typically not a charge to the patient for patient navigation services. That is, is that correct? correct? That is correct. Okay. So when you think about challenges to patient navigation, what are um, some of the challenges that you see? Um, one challenge is uh, that we continue to have a fragmented care system based on uh, for example, the insurance carrier that that patient has, that uh, patient may be directed to go to one place to get their biopsy, a different place to get their surgery, a third place to get their chemotherapy, a fourth place to get their radiation. And none of those places talk to one another. So she's got a tough job in trying to tie all of that together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of HIPAA, restrictions, which are very appropriate, but end up ironically being a barrier, even if they're each on their own electronic medical record system, they cannot share information. 
um, in in that way. They they cannot open up their database and say, "Go find Mrs. Mary Smith in here um, that had her surgery elsewhere, but now is having her chemo um, uh, performed here." And we are going to continue to see more and more newly diagnosed people. The American Cancer Society announced a few months ago that based on the statistical trends, one in two men and one in three women will be diagnosed with a life-threatening cancer sometime in their lifetime. Baby boomers are in midlife. That's a huge population that's Mm -hmm. swelling that denominator, which in turn is going to swell that numerator. We've got 14.4 million cancer survivors today. We're going to exceed 18 million in in just six years from now. Uh, That doesn't mean that at the same rate, oncologists are... Uh, coming out of medical school, actually we're seeing that drop. People are not choosing oncology as a profession. And again, that is because of reimbursement issues primarily. So how do we uh, put 10 pounds of salt in a five-pound bag? I'm trying to figure out myself. As Mm -hmm. navigators have to take on more and more patients without there being more and more of them. Right. Uh, and that's certainly going to be a challenge, as you indicated, as the numbers continue to to swell. But certainly an important role, given all of the different roles that they play within that one hat that they're wearing. Yes. Yeah. So we are going to go to um, our last commercial break. We will be back with Lily Shockney to recap the show on patient navigation right after this commercial break. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community a global network of education and hope.
You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is sponsored in part by McKesson's Giving Comfort Program, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Morphotech. I am Linda House, standing in for Kim Tebaldo, the CEO of the Cancer Support Community, and we are just finishing up our show about patient navigation. We're joined today by Lily Shockney, who is the Administrative Director of John Hopkins Avon Foundation Breast Center, and also the Program Director for the Academy of Oncology Nurse Navigators. And Lily, right before the break, we were talking about some of the challenges faced by, uh, by patient navigators. And we, we talked about the, um, the decreasing amount of professionals going into oncology and the increasing need of patients um, with the, the shift of the baby boomers into uh, an age that's ripe for cancer diagnosis. So when you think about that balance, is there a right time for someone diagnosed with cancer to meet with a patient navigator? There is, and it's the earlier the better. Ideally, it would be within literally a few days of hearing those words, you have cancer, so that they could be put on the right path um, to, uh, to be in the right hands. In some cases, uh, patients may be diagnosed with a very complex uh, or rare form of cancer and may need to be clinically triaged to a, a large <clears throat> comprehensive cancer center versus um, a different type of cancer that's more common and easier to treat that could be able to be treated at a local facility. But when they meet with the oncologist, whether that be surgeon, medical oncologist, radiation oncologist, or other, to discuss how, how do I get rid of this cancer, they should say, who is going to serve as my navigator uh, for me as I begin this journey with you? <laughs> Additionally, uh, navigators commonly do stay in touch with this patient all the way through to the end of treatment. Not all uh, individuals are going to survive. So those with metastatic disease um, have to make some very difficult decisions. These decisions can end up not being made uh, uh, due to miscommunication or buffering so that a patient may uh, keep saying to the doctor, what treatment do you have next for me and what treatment do you have next as that patient becomes more and more ill when there actually should be a discussion about what are the goals of the patient and what are the goals of treatment to make sure that those goals dovetail with one another. Um, A recent study uh, that I was reading over the weekend showed that uh, 51% of patients with end-stage metastatic cancer, when when they are said, told by their doctor, I am hoping that your tumor responds to the next treatment. The patient interprets the word respond to mean cure. That's where a navigator needs to step in and say, I want to make sure that we're all singing from the same sheet music. Um, Tell me your understanding as to what you expect this next treatment to do. And if that patient says, cure me, then we need to get the doctor back in the room and redo this discussion. Those are good tips. So, so can you just tell, you know, as concretely as possible, where, where can people find out about a patient navigation program, and how do they make sure that they are getting the most out of a program? 
So it's very much going to depend on where they're going to be uh, getting their care and treatment. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there, the website for that cancer center or uh, freestanding facility, the majority of them do put on their website information about their navigation program, who their navigators are. They might even show you a picture and, and contact information uh, for them. If they want to read about navigation um, in general and uh, kind of pick up where we're leaving off here today, they can go to the American Cancer Society um, website to a website also that um, is specific for the type of cancer that they have, uh, <clears throat> that, uh, uh, and, and Google the word navigation um, for uh, the type of cancer that they have, and they will have a wealth of information that will come up associated with it. What um, I also would like to caution people about, for those that end up being newly diagnosed, our habit is to run to the Internet, run, run, run to the Internet. There are credible websites that are great, have excellent information. There are websites that are trying to lure people into giving them their credit card number, and for 55, we will cure you of your cancer. It is really important that the websites that they visit be already known to be credible. The navigator can give them a list that is specific for the type of cancer that they have and for their needs and for their caregivers' needs rather than them wasting their time and perhaps also being given false hope that's unethical and inappropriate, but it's out there. And when you're scared, you are tempted to do almost anything that sounds like this is a solution. Yeah, and, and I'll also mention that um, the cancer support community has a helpline staffed by licensed mental health professionals, and they could also help lead our listeners to either a qualified program, a qualified navigator, additional information. And that helpline number, which I will repeat at the end of the show, is one eight 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 seven nine three nine three five five. So, Lily, we um, have covered a lot in this particular show. I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners uh, a story of someone who has uh, ha- has successfully gone through uh, the patient navigation experience. I can. Um, and <clears throat> this is a patient that I uh, was privileged to personally navigate. Um, this was an individual who had a very small... A tumor in her breast was an excellent candidate for having lumpectomy followed by local radiation. And the doctor told her that and that he said, you know, you'll probably sail through your treatments, very early diagnoses. And she said, well, I want a mastectomy. I've already made my decision that I want a mastectomy. And the doctor said, oh, well, okay, if that's what you want. Uh, I'm going to leave Lily here with you to talk more about um, this surgical decision and uh, review with you some preoperative teaching regarding what to prepare for, regarding surgery, et cetera. So uh, I, after he left, I asked the patient um, in saying, it sounds like even before you came here today, you made a decision that you wanted a mastectomy. Tell me, how did you reach that decision? And she said, I, I don't want chemotherapy. And I went, oh, my, that's not what the trade is. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if you need chemotherapy, you need chemotherapy. That's treatment to treat your whole body, known as systemic treatment. Local treatment is lumpectomy or mastectomy, and it doesn't matter which one you do. If you need chemotherapy, you're going to get chemotherapy. And she said, oh, my gosh, I'm glad that you just educated me about that. I would have really been upset later um, to have uh, uh, been informed after I lost my breast that I, that I still need to have chemotherapy. I also wow. um, have uh, uh, recently supported a patient um, who had uh, metastatic breast cancer and was uh, thinking that it was best to keep on with treatment. She said, I want people to be able to tell my children that I fought for them, that I had chemotherapy up to my last breath. And I said, is that your goal? Yes. Is that your only goal? Well, no. I also want my children to remember me. My children are two years old and three years old. And I said, those two goals are in conflict with one another. Because if you have chemotherapy up to your last breath, you're going to be an inpatient and be very sick. Your children are too young to be in the hospital to be allowed to visit you. You will have less time with them physically, and you will be on this earth for a shorter period of time. If instead you look at hospice earlier versus later, statistically, you should live longer, have better quality of life, have more time with your children, and your children will be a little bit older, fulfilling, I hope, that goal that they will remember you. And they did get old enough, and she was in hospice for eight months, which was perfect. So um, having those types of very candid and sensitive discussions is uh, something that navigators take great pride in doing. Yeah, thank you for sharing those stories. Those are pretty pretty powerful examples. Thank you for that. Um, Lily, I'd like to thank you for joining us today on the show um, to shed light on this very important aspect in cancer care. And truthfully, Lily, thank you for all you do for, for people who are, are touched by cancer. I know that it's incredible work, and you've been able to impact a lot of lives. So thank you for that. Thanks for having me. For our listeners, if you or anyone you know is seeking emotional support throughout your cancer journey, be sure to consider the Cancer Support Community's Cancer Support Helpline. I mentioned it earlier in the show. It is staffed by licensed mental health professionals and provides patients and their families practical help and counseling and or referral to other resources as needed. That telephone number is one 888 and you can also get additional information on our website, which is www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Thank you again for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Kim Tebaldo, our president and CEO, will be back with you next week. As you know, Cancer Support Community provides a multitude of in-person, online, and telephone support, as well as uh, individual affiliates. You can find your local affiliate at that website or, again, call us at 1-888-793-9355. I'd also like to ask if there's a topic that you would like to hear us cover on any upcoming episode of Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Please let us know by sending an email to news at cancersupportcommunity.org. We'd love to hear from you. Until the next time, be well, do well, and live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. 
In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management